Hey, listeners, just wanted to give you a quick note that there is a little bit of talk of suicide today in the main episode. This season of Feminist Frequency Radio, we're bringing our feminist media criticism live to video. That's right. If you would like to see us as well as hear us talk about all things cyberpunk, you can do that at youtube.com slash feminist frequency. The audio quality on the videos are not quite as good as you get from our professionally edited podcast, but you do get to see our shining faces. So, you know, your call. We also have live video of all our bonus episodes with our special guests, which are only available to patrons. So get in on that fun at patreon.com slash femfreak. Now enjoy the show. Hey y'all, you know we're a nonprofit, right? That means we rely on donations from listeners to keep this podcast going. So if you have a couple of dollars to spare because every dollar counts, please consider giving at patreon.com slash femfreak. Also fun fact, in addition to the perks that you'll get as a Patreon subscriber, your donations and contributions on Patreon are also tax deductible because we're a 501c3. So if you want to learn more, if you want to give, please head over to patreon.com slash femfreak. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, this movie may have invented spinning. It's <laughs> like the first movie I think where it was like, techno over looking up something. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Acidburn Sarkeesian. And I'm Cat Crash Override Spada. And today, our summer of cyberpunk comes to an end. Mr. Deckard, Dr. Eldon Terrell. The new millennium. This is amazing will bring a new experience. How do you fit all that in your head anyway? I had to dump a chunk of long-term memory. This is going to be fun, Terry. Who is this? Take this thing out of the case and stick it up your nose. Mozart's ghost, the hottest band on the internet! So what better time to harken back to the Hacker's Manifesto from 1986, Published in the e-zine Frack, in part, the manifesto reads, And then it happened. A door opened to a world, rushing through the phone line like heroin through an addict's veins. An electronic pulse is sent out. A refuge from the day-to-day incompetencies is sought. This is our world now. The world of the electron and the switch. The beauty of the bod. To round out this season, the final film we are discussing is Hackers, of course, a 1995 crime thriller, I guess, from director Ian Softley. A crew of high school hackers led by Johnny Lee Miller and Angelina Jolie find themselves involved in a corporate conspiracy in this movie that has become a cult classic in the nearly three decades since its release. Its screenwriter, Raphael Moreau, said, "'To call hackers a counterculture makes it sound like they're a transitory thing.' I think they're the next step in human evolution. Hidden beneath the world we know is the world they inhabit. Dave? Yeah, Mom? What are you doing? I'm taking over a TV network. Finish up, honey, and get to sleep. They're hackers. Hackers penetrate and ravage private and publicly owned computer systems. Hack the planet! Hack the planet! They can crack any code. Get inside any system. 
Hello? Mr. Gill, according to our records, you're dead. I'm what? Hackers. Joining us to discuss this film is an Emmy and Wendy's Employee of the Month winning television writer and producer who specializes in Montana hillbilly trauma comedy. She created the animated series Danger and Eggs and has worked on movies and television series including Yo Gabba Gabba, Brightburn, 12 Forever, and Forever Alone. She is a writer on the long-anticipated Netflix adaptation of The Sandman, which debuted this summer. Welcome to the show, Shadi Petoskey. Thank you. I am so excited to have you on. I'm excited to be here. I I did watch this movie, so this, that's, <laughs> that's all you got. Uh, no, I, I, I love this movie. This is going to be great. Um, you said that what? we're supposed to be critical, but I don't know if I can. I just like it so much. You don't have to be. You could just be like, this is the best thing that's ever it been made in the so whole entire world. Sweet. Yeah. I <laughs> um, have you seen this movie before? Oh, yeah, of course. Y- yeah, classic. Yeah, I saw it when it came out. Kat, have you seen the movie before? I'm shocked that I have not seen this movie what? until last night. It's like one of those movies that I feel like, oh, I know that movie. You know, like I know it's Angelina Jolie and the Pixie Cut and they're hacking and hack the planet. But then like when I actually sat down, I was like, I don't think I've ever watched this. Um, but it's like definitive. I mean, this is like the 90s vibe and aesthetic I've been looking for. I am kind of stoked that it just accidentally happened that this is our last episode. So I've seen this movie a bunch of times. I really wasn't looking forward to seeing it again. I was like, I've seen Hackers enough. I don't need to see it ever again. But as I was watching it, I was like, this is to me like the quintessential cyberpunk movie. Like it has all the aesthetic, all the story, all the elements that make cyberpunk what it is. Like, especially of like the 90s genre of cyberpunk. So I feel like it's a nice container for the season that we're doing. Yeah. And I've been hacking the planet for 20 years, so I haven't (laughs) thought about it. Yeah, yeah. you've just been doing it. Time time slips by. It's like being in a hacking the planet. It's like being in a casino. You just don't know what time it is. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I think on a previous episode, I was talking about how there's like the cyberpunk movies where it's like technology is the worst and the bad Mm. and like techno fear. And then there's the ones where it's like, we are the activists who are going to save the day with our hacking skills. And like, that is the, the zone that this movie is in that I like. I appreciate the, we are just like misunderstood, but we're really good for you. You know, (laughs) we're taking down the man. That's all I ever want. I don't ever want to see a killer robot or any (laughs) computer thing being bad because none of us have had bad experiences with computers or digital (laughs) culture or anything. Like I, I want it all. I'm like pro Google glasses and I get upset when people are anti anything. I just want it. I want it all to happen. I'm very much more in that Hacker Manifesto vibe of like, let the information be free and let the stuff get made. And, you know, it could be bad, but I, I, mean, don't, want it to, I don't want it to be bad. I got really so, angry at that robot Black Mirror episode. I'm like, no, those dogs are going to bring me Lucky Charms. That's just what those dogs are going to do. And it's going to be great. I lived in San Francisco when Google Glass was a thing, and I was fucking horrified. Like, I would see people on the subway wearing them, and I'd just immediately be like, don't look at me. Don't look at my face. You're not allowed to see me with your fucking corporate advertising spyware. And so we start this podcast as enemies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why I invited you, didn't you know? <laughs> yeah, I did. 
I will uh, bookend us by saying that Shaddy missed out on the first movie we discussed this season, Johnny Mnemonic, in which a psychic dolphin uh, is responsible for, like, transmitting, I mean, not psychic, but who cares, uh, transmitting information to the VCRs of the public. Incredible. I did watch <laughs> Johnny Mnemonic in quarantine, so I'm up to <laughs> I'm so sorry. To cover them all. I know. Well, that's really like a cyberpunk movie that was trying, because it's a William Gibson movie, so... That's where they're really trying to be like cyberpunk, whereas Hackers is not like it's not it's not speculative fiction, right? It's more like ethnographic or they wanted it to be like it's about 1995 and what was happening with the people at that time and what could maybe happen a little bit. But mostly it was kind of about it's like to me, it's like the same as a skateboarding movie or like Empire mm. Records came out that year. So it's, it's just it's like, oh, you've got your record shop workers movie that have to save the record store and you've got your hackers movie and you've got Gleaming the Cube. To me, it's like just those kind of movies. And it's not like, you know, J.G. Ballard, William Gibson. Yeah, it's know, not like futuristic. Yeah. 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 And they yeah. aren't even trying to be really I mean, they did visually. We can talk about that later, but. To me, it's just a totally different movie. But it is a cyberpunk movie. Well, yeah, I mean, let's get aesthetic. into the visuals. I, like, I find so much joy in the visuals of this movie. I think, and again, I think it is, like, part, for me, part of what I'm, like, why I think this is quintessential cyberpunk. Like, the reflection of code on their faces oh. while they're, like, sitting at their computers. I was like, yes, please. The fucking, um, just the, like, the hacking sequences that are way too long where it's just, like, Johnny Lee Miller spinning around with like in the digital sphere. And you're like, I'm in the computer. The spinning was the best. It was the best spinning. And uh, Twilight later had spinning as well. But this movie. Twilight? Twilight has some calendar spinning. But like this movie. Oh, that's right. The the phone booth spinning was amazing. Like, I I don't know. This movie may have invented spinning. It definitely, <laughs> it definitely is like the first movie I think where it was like techno over looking up something, right? Like this is right. the movie that was like, and now that always happens. Like that, and anytime you have somebody on a computer doing something, like it's hackers like, over and over again. So I feel like this movie really changed filmmaking <laughs> in, general, <laughs> in general and inspired everybody after. I mean, we'll get there, but the whole like phone booth thing at the end too, that was the only moment of like techno fear that I thought was when there's like people going to work and it it made me feel like you could be on your way to the office and there could be a hacker right behind you. Like there was just something about like hacking, it's all around us. Like that was... But in the movie, it's not like you you shouldn't be afraid of that. It's like you should be afraid of the hacker you can't see who's in the top floor of the building. Um, and the only other question I had about a visual, there were these like cubes of code, I guess, that were supposed to be like servers or something. Yeah. And they were just these like light installations. And I loved it. I was like, that's very cool. I hope whoever designed that for this movie kept it for their home. I, I loved when they were flying and he was looking out the window and it was like the the buildings turned into like like motherboard and like computer. That was things. beautiful. <laughs> I was yeah, like, this is how so he good. sees the world, man. <laughs> it's it's so good. And all that stuff is like practical, right? So the that's kind of famous for like they didn't use like the lawnmower man or the Johnny Mnemonic CG stuff. They just built little models and built all that stuff in the old school way. So that stuff, it could be in somebody's living room, right? Cause it all exists, which yeah. is just so amazing. 
because it felt like with that stuff and the you know they did all the movie flashback stuff um when he was sort of hyper focused or whatever he's thinking about classic films and things mm. it, i worked on yo gabba gabba for 75 episodes so it felt a lot like that to me where it was just like artists just doing whatever they could get done as cheap as possible and you know somebody tried this one and you just assigned a bunch of artists and i think it was that and then like um it was just all these independent special effects people doing what they could do with no money and then they formed like a huge vfx company after that like it seems very artist everything about this movie is just like a bunch of artists throwing what they have at the wall which is amazing and i think that's really part of the hacker reality in the mid 90s too is that like i mean i kind of know this like from cultural osmosis but watching it where i'm like yeah it was a lot more analog at the time. Like hacking started with holding a tape recorder up to a payphone. Like that is hacking and it feels so like, wait, no, that's not hacking. That's not like having to understand how to break down code. It's like, but yeah, it is. And it started that way. I mean, there's obviously, uh, it's delightful for me, especially never having seen this movie before to see like Johnny Lee Miller stashing his like floppy disks in his (laughs) pants and stuff. But like, I mean, what's the difference between that and, like, uh, an external hard drive? It just holds a lot more. But it's the same, like, physical, digital overlap. I will say that they all used Apple computers, which you were... No one was hacking on an Apple. No, and I think it's really true. funny because, like, you know, you'd be using, like, Linux. like Or you'd be, like, typing into code on, like, DOS commands and stuff. But because Apple was the visual UI at the time... Uh, I think that it was probably more appealing from a filmmaking perspective because you could like see windows opening and shit Mm -hmm. like that, even though that wasn't at all what you would ever be hacking on at that moment in in history. That was super weird. It's just what you used at school. Um, Yeah. But yeah, the hackers Um, are like, click the hack button on Apple TVs or whatever. Okay, so the movie starts in Seattle, 1988, where a Mr. Zero Cool, who is like a fucking infant, uh, <laughs> took down uh, 1,508, I don't fucking remember the number. Seven. Sis- 1,500. <laughs> <laughs> he corrects them um, in the middle. Uh, yeah, no, it's 1,507. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and and then is not allowed to touch anything like electronic for until he's 18 or whatever. And so I'm like, but then he like, you know, goes to a new school and finds all these cool people and is just like, I am like master elite hacker. And I'm like, how the fuck would you know how to do anything? Like so much has changed in the technological evolution of uh, 18, well, whatever, 10, 10 year, more than whatever, be like 10 years or something. Yeah. Um. Uh, that, that I, you know, whatever. There's so many things you have to forgive in the story, but that I just kept like harping on being like, how do you fucking know how to do anything anymore, man? Oh, I have an explanation because remember when they brought out when the books, the books later, the Crayola books. So he's been studying and doing it. And then there's a moment when he, because he turns 18 and so he can go online and he goes, he goes into the, uh, hacks the TV station. Are you going to go through the plot points of the movie? I don't, or are we just, you are going to... No. Oh, okay. I mean, we I can talk about them, but there's, yeah, yeah. There's uh, no official structure. This podcast is very willy-nilly. <laughs> and his mom, who's awesome, she's the best mom, but she says, like, you connected to the phone line. So she freaks out because he connected to the phone line. So, so he's been using a computer this whole time. He just hasn't connected it until his 18th birthday. So I think he's been, like, itching. 
Itchin yeah. Dodo. Yeah, Raren. Only gaming on CD-ROMs, I yeah. guess. I loved that scene where he calls the security guard and is like, Mr. Eddie Vedder from accounting, the BLT drive, and da-da-da. And like, I love that it was so obvious that even if you don't know anything about computers, you're like, I know those references. That's <laughs> funny. <laughs> that's that's like the big geek, the IT Dilbert. He, although Dilbert did not does not still hold up, but that was the whole thing, like, the CD-ROM is the cup holder or the weird, right. like, it's the, that's the biggest joke. But yeah, I remember when he said this is Eddie Vedder and I was just like screaming when in <laughs> yeah, the 90s. Yeah, you're like, that's like, so He's funny. so cool. He knows <laughs> Eddie checked. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's like, well, that's the great thing because that's like social engineering, right? Which is how a lot of hacking is done. And so uh, it, you know, that the movie's great because it shows that. It shows dumpster diving. It shows all this like infiltration stuff. And it sh- it show it really is like this is how hacking is done is like those tricky phone calls and stuff and not just you know people typing in yeah code or whatever. I I think one of the things that's uh, a little disappointing to me is that it's like hacker versus hacker mm. uh, instead. Like the corporation isn't evil; it's just this one guy in the corporation that's evil. Um, which, you know, whatever, that makes a fine story, but I love a, I love a takedown corporation story. And so it was like, you know, whoever this company was, uh, wasn't a bad company. It was just this one guy who was like embezzling money from them. That was like, I'm going to sink tankers and kill all of these people. And you're like, damn, dude, that's like bad. Right. You think that the bad guy is the guy from the wire and then the FBI agent. And then (laughs) it turns out it's, it was Fisher Stevens and Lorraine Bracco all along and I know I'm jumping straight to the end, but the scene where Lorraine Brock is that Lorraine Bracco, right, from The Sopranos? His girlfriend, the, like... Is that what she's... Is, I recognize her, but I couldn't... I don't remember her name. Anyway, she's yeah, just slept with Fisher Stevens in his, like, metal origami bed, and... What the fuck, that bed? <laughs> I was like, it was so uncomfortable. She sees, like... Matthew Lillard on the TV. And then she's like, oh, my God. And immediately I was like, oh, shit. Fisher Stevens hacked his way out of that bedroom instantly. He is gone. He's got himself to the wig store. He is ready to get to the Grand Caymans or whatever. Um, There was, I mean, this movie's hilarious, I think, on purpose, right? Like, most of it. I didn't feel like, when I was laughing, most of the time I felt like I was laughing with the movie, not at the movie. So Yeah, it's essential to know that that's a comedy, right? Like, I've seen yeah. other people talk about hackers as if it's just corny, but everything was so, it was all intentional jokes. And it's a really cartoony movie, like the way they cut and then they pop in with jokes all the time. But it is an anti-cop movie. Like, it's not uh, all, you know, like um, the Secret Service are the bad guys so they do take them down too sort of but they're but they're doing the bidding of the corporation mm-hmm. so it's kind of yeah, a, and they do they do make fun of like the movie makes fun of him too right having yeah. him be like and and the press you called are here sir and then him saying the same thing over and over again about hackers being evil and you're like uh ah, you're a wanker <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna get you <laughs> yes yeah, so um, i love i love that part about it but to your point about it not being hacker versus hacker it would have been better if it was like the corporation abusing some poor hacker versus hacker. But but then I'm going to step back. What I was saying is like, okay, so if we accept that it is a hacker versus hacker story, which I suppose we have to, if we want to remain rooted in this current reality, um, then like, it is kind of cool to be like, who is better? You know, like, it, like the, the hacker off between 
uh, Angelina Jolie and Dade, I thought was fucking delightful. Like so the cool. sort of prepping for it and like seeing who can outwit each other. Like I loved, I loved that. It was so geeky and nerdy and like, I, you know, so the, I think that that little microcosm of the hacker off is like the larger uh, casing of the movie, right? Is like, yeah. and and our and who's using hacking for good and who's using it for bad? You know, like you have Razor and Blade that come in that are like the most elite, uh, the most performative. That are like hacking is more than just a crime; it's a survival trait, right? <laughs> uh, and like they're like, let's bring everyone together and like take down this bad guy with the collective, right? With a with a collective of pe- of hackers who are all in it to beat a family or whatever. And yeah. I'm, I'm into the relationships, like the whole little crew in the high school. First of all, like the, the fact that you hear the kid who wears the little kitten t-shirt and he's like calling his family in Venezuela. Like he's kind of your way into this group, Matthew Lillard. Like it does feel really lived in that. Like he would be crashing on this guy's couch and that Angelina Jolie's, family like she her mom's a self-help writer and then she has all this money but it was like I actually I really wish I'd seen this when I was younger because I loved um the way that their relationship was like they were both kind of horny for each other there was the little bet that didn't feel like a gross exploitative bet as usually does in 90s teen movies um, I would say it's still kind of <laughs> gross, but not as bad as not some of as the other bad. ones. All, Although, every time we're watching 90s movies, I'm picking crumbs. I'm like, yeah, I know, give I me know. a morsel well, of okay. respect. <laughs> so, so a couple of things. One, as a teenage queer, when like, you know, ish, when this came out, like every Angelina Jolie movie at that time was we were all watching as much as we could of it. So like you had uh, Foxfire, um, you had... Um, Gia. I don't know. Gia came Gia, out yeah. a little bit later. Like, and it was just like, she was just like the queer idol for, for a lot of people at the time. Uh, I looking at her now, I'm like, you look like shit in this whole movie. That haircut is the <laughs> fucking worst. But, oh man, I uh, didn't think so. I thought, I'm she was sure I'm sure I'm in the minority of this. I wanted to her so bad. And it was like, the kid, first yeah. thing that yeah. she did too. So it was like, she did kind of come out of nowhere as this otherworldly, person i I do think with the bet there's a couple of interesting things right it does fit into the like do you have to date me if you lose and she's like i'm not gonna lose and then you're she's like well you have to wear a dress and he's like okay and she was you know whatever that whole thing happens and you're like oh is this like veering on some fucked up shit but the fact that she has a sex dream about him in a dress that's super erotic i was like i'm okay with like this feels like fantasy fulfilling and not like making fun of despite the fact that there is a shitty trans joke in the movie, right? Like that didn't feel like that didn't feel shitty in the way it was framed. Uh, I don't know. Agree. Disagree. I, it felt, I mean, it like, it felt like it was definitely written by a dude, a straight dude with like the battle of the sexes mm-hmm. like argumentative like we don't like each other we're just going to win like i guess that's like a straight relationship is just hating each <laughs> other and you know hating each other until one of you pins the other or exhausts the other or whatever and they're really like you know it, it, again we're jumping to the end but like he doesn't win but the dudes just vote for him so that he can have the date like it's all right. it's not great 
but I did love uh, the part, her having the dream did feel like kind of the feminist moment where he was like, oh, he's going to give her the dream too. And then it was like, oh, they're hot for each other and this is all okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and so the date does, would have happened one way or another at that point, even if it was yeah like set up in those yeah and but i definitely you, was hoping for a tie i thought they were gonna both show up to the date at the end in like pleather dresses i was fully expecting that and was definitely disappointed that it wasn't that's a better movie for sure yeah although what yeah. he's wearing is fun yeah. <laughs> like you know it's a little and- i mean the fact that the whole credit sequence is them just fucking in a pool <laughs> i was like oh right i forgot about this okay like, this literally just goes on and on, and you're like, okay, this movie's very horny. The moment after her sex dream, when she opens up her locker, never forget we're in high school, she opens up her locker and there's like a little, you know, Fredericks of Hollywood thing inside, and she's like, I'm ready for our date if you are, and he gives her this look like, I'm, I'm going to win, I'm not going to wear that. And I thought like, oh no, he definitely bought his like one-legged red holster that matches his pager in the men's section. Like, let's not, let's be clear about a crash override here. I thought she looked incredible. I was definitely watching this like, I could pull off those little bangs, which I could not. Um, But I'd love to like hold this movie up against any number of nepotism babies, like first films that they're in when they're a teenager. And you're like, oh, so-and-so's kid is going to be in a movie. This is going to be crappy. And then you end up with the occasional Angelina Jolie out of it. As I was watching it, I couldn't reconcile Johnny Lee Miller as Crash Override and Johnny Lee Miller as Sherlock Holmes. Like I longtime listeners of the podcast know that me and Ebony fucking loved elementary. And like, I just, I kept being like, it was like a, a tear was happening in my brain trying to remedy the fact that these are both the same human beings. (laughs) And I don't know why that was so hard for me, but yeah, it was just, it was such a, well, people, people do grow change. up and play different yeah, roles yeah. and like it's but just they're both so quintessential in my mind as like distinct separate separate roles i don't know i've always just seen he's hot spotting with him yeah oh, which is completely right. different too totally right different. like that's a wild one no he's a one, he's a little chameleon um one other yeah that's true actually i i would totally agree with that one other little fun fact is that um, the game that they're playing in the arcade is like a CGI version of Wipeout that had not come out yet, I believe, or was like coming out that year that they made specifically for the movie. And I love the high score action sequence where it's like stomp, the names are like stomping on each other's names. I was like, man, I wish video games really had that kind of (laughs) dramatic high score mechanism. Just such an aggressive fuck you high score. And just like that arcade, I was like, man, I wish I had cool places like that to hang out in as a teenager. Perfect. It's so good. It didn't exist. I don't know if you know. <laughs> that was just for the movie. That was very much like the uh, the aspirational thing. But that's kind of how, because we've been talking about the costumes, like this movie, all of it, like hackers suck, right? Like, like uh, so it talked about the, the costume designer talked about um, going to a hacker convention to get like inspiration and figure it out. But everybody was just wearing black and so boring. (laughs) Yeah. So this is a film where all of these departments studied and did deep dives and, and wanted to like understand this world and represent it visually. And they all were just like, this world is boring. 
we're just going to do what we think is cool. And everybody just did what they thought it was cool. And that was like, you know, the hangout that it just was all, it's just. And that's the thing about all tech, like tech representation in movies, like, like any kind of programming is fucking boring. Like it's not, it is not visually interesting or dramatic. And I think that's where a lot of this comes out of, of like, yeah, we're going to like spin around in a in a wheelie chair and put some graphics over your face. And like there's so many pans of like the fingers typing up to the Apple logo up to the computer screen and then cut and then like that again and again. And so like making tech visual, I think, is a part of what's the cyberpunk genre like brought into this space and then making them be like cool and counterculture, which, you know, you're like is not most of the programmers I know wear like t-shirts they got from video game conventions <laughs> or like their workplaces and jeans, you know, like they're not <laughs> stereotype. I realize I'm saying that, but like, it's, it's not the most fashionable bunch of people. Not no. an all white one, one oh, piece unitard. So good. So good. All right. So I want to ask you all about something I read about when researching this movie, which was I'm, pretty sure this was just a marketing ploy, but I still don't have the answer, which is the uh, MGM United Artists website for the movie Hackers, which was allegedly hacked by a group called the Internet Liberation Front. Um, And then it was like stayed up throughout the run of the movie being in theaters as an altered site. And uh, don't worry, I have it for you. Are you going to show it? Are you going to screen share it? Just so you can see the hacking of this movie poster that's done for our listeners. It's like an MS Paint style doodling over Angelina Jolie and Johnny Lee Miller. And then... Oh my God, this text! (laughs) Yeah. uh, It says this is going to be a lame, cheesy promotional site for a movie. Um, That's... Uh, Yeah, that's it. And then it's like, don't watch this movie. Instead, you should check out real hacker sites or or read Frack Magazine, which is like the the, uh, e-magazine for frackers. For frackers? For hackers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) RuPaul Weekly is the the magazine for frackers. Um, Yeah. Uh, Knowledge isn't free. Don't hack the planet. Don't see hackers. It sucks. Buy Teach Yourself C in 21 Days Instead. Raphael Moreau, screenwriter, must die. Man, this would be such a good marketing scheme. It must be. I'm sure it was. I, I know this yeah. story, and and but they left it up. Like yeah, they could have they could have done it. But also, were there movie websites a lot in 1995? I feel like no, probably not a lot. But I think they were. I mean, the Space Jam website that's iconic um, was probably what 96. Okay. Um, which if you haven't seen that, we should also link that in the show notes. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was Yeah, this lovely. just feels like somebody's like, let's have the site be hacked. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, it is, offen- like, it is pretty offensive. But also, <laughs> like, <laughs> having them link to, like, actual hacker stuff, if those links are actually active, I think is kind of cool. If it's just a marketing blitz, you know? Yeah. And unless, I noticed Unless that- the community didn't want that, then not cool, but... In the credits of the movie, uh, they thank the writer of the Hacker Manifesto and include his email address, mentor oh at blankenship.com, is in the credits. I, I don't know. I didn't think there was going to be a stinger or something. I just, like, let the credits play to the end. And I was shocked just to see, like, an 
an at email address in the movie credits. I wonder how many people watch this and were like, at, you know, dear mentor at blankenship.com. I want to learn how to hack the planet. Yeah. Wild. Wild. For him, that would have been annoying, probably. (laughs) Or or they loved it. Uh, Who knows? Yeah, that's true. Um, The last thing I just want to. He likes attention. (laughs) Probably. I feel like you've got it if to write a manifesto, right? Right. Yeah. It's an attention-getting thing, usually. Yeah, you shoot yeah. somebody, you blow somebody up. It's all... Yeah, yeah, you write a manifesto, it's all the same. I've written a few. Um, My therapist just says to delete them before the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, la- the last, like, sort of representational thing I want to point out is that this is a movie of, like, the one hot, cool hacker chick lady, mm. right? Like, that. this is a recurring theme that when women do get included in these stories, they get to be, like like one of the guys and there are no other women as competition. And they are also like a love interest typically in some, some capacity. So this definitely fits squarely into that trope. Oh yeah. And maybe yeah. helped invent it a little bit. Well, I don't know. These that's probably been in seventies motorcycle movies or whatever. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's all that she, you know, she's not fixing the engine, but, She's hacking. I guess she is fixing the engine. <laughs> um, how would you react if your date uh, lit up a bunch of building windows to have love, your names? Love. I wouldn't. I don't think anybody would react like her because that laugh was ridiculous. <laughs> like the joy that she expressed was so confusing. It's it like, just went on and on and on. Because it's like, look, three weeks ago, you guys managed to get to the antenna towers on top of the Empire State Building. Lighting so up cool. some office building windows ain't nothing compared to that. So I love the lighting up of the windows uh, so much. Um, I just, I would love that. I think that shit's so much fun. Uh, but I like immersive installation shit like that. Uh, one one thing that I <laughs> this is so stupid. Uh, he's like, and if you go on a date with me, you have to smile. And then literally the next scene, she's like laughing and smiling. And you're like, huh, mm-hmm. cool. Great. Like, doesn't matter. Things that I notice, whatever. Yeah. Smile, <sighs> wear a dress. Yeah. This movie's, you know, be, pretty. you know, it's like street harassment in, yeah. in a movie, uh, not in a movie, whatever. Okay. Everybody. I mean, I'm people, stop talking. well, no, but it is. Yeah. It's, it's, it is exactly that. It's very nineties. It's very today. It's very all time. And so people will talk about it as being this kind of like gender free and gender queer movie because there's sort of some color on the clothes. But to me, like, like aside from like the Vivian Westwood mashup of all the clothes, like all the clothes are super utilitarian. It's all Mm. like work clothes or motorcycle jackets or like military Molly bag type things. Um, except for Angel- Angelina has the the surfer rash guard, but that's like that's still very utilitarian. So except for the dress at the end, it's all like really like mask utility piled on of more mask utility. So to me, it's like this isn't even like what are we? This is not gender queer. This is not like this is just a very like mask fashion. It's the same thing as like what you know, like the Sex Pistols. You know, it's just like right. You know, because uh, it's it's punk, and he was like trying to do that Vivian Westwood thing with the the mashups and stuff. But it's like everything he chose was utility, and nothing was femme or ornamental or like additive, really, except for like 
I guess, um, cereal for pigtails or something. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping that we'd get, that we'd come to Matthew Lillard's cere- cereal killer. Um, spell it the way you're boobs. thinking. And uh, he was, by the way, a delight. I was, I loved it. I loved him in this movie. This is the first movie I ever saw him on, and it was like, this is the greatest person ever. Like, it was, he was amazing. He's so amazing. Yeah. And then he became, <laughs> he became Matthew Lillard, but it was just like, <laughs> yeah, he wa- who doesn't want to be friends? I don't know now if you want to be friends with Matthew Lillard. He might um, ask for a lot of rides. Uh, but like, you know, yeah, it's like so cool. He's so cool. Oh, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, representation, there are some representational issues that I find troubling, but overall the movie is like pretty solid. Like it holds up. It's still like got a really good core. The like pacing of it's overall pretty good. Like it look, it still looks interesting. So I feel like this was a, like a fun one to revisit. Yeah, it's not super offensive. And that's part of like the hacker manifesto, right? It was like, I don't, I can't quote it, but it was just like no race, no gender, no, Mm -hmm. you know, the handles are are beyond that. And that was kind of the idea in the early internet that (laughs) it didn't didn't work out this way. What? uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Yeah. You know, it was going to all be this, this, yeah. uh, But I think, I think he was trying for that, right? Like he he was, you know, it was cast there. The group of friends is mostly white, but there's two black, or there's the black guy, and then there's, uh, you know, we're still the, living in uh, our current reality when they cast it, so you can you can go too extreme, right, right, with, right, yeah. you know. But it definitely felt like the filmmakers were thinking about all of that and wanted to make sure that that happened, and you know, yeah, there was representation that made that Empire Records didn't have, you know, which yeah, is like the true. same year or clue. I keep. Uh, I keep thinking about Empire Records. I was fucking obsessed with it as a kid, and I'm afraid to go back and rewatch it. I'm like, does it? Ho- I don't know if it holds up. If it, all I think about is Empire Records. And you should <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Our- I've loved it so much. I mean, it's you know, it's it's rapey. It's like there's yeah, it's not yeah, yeah but it's uh, I mean, these movies are all these like all late eighties, nineties. It's all just these cool teen hangout movies, and it was like at all these aspirational group of fr- friends. And Empire Records is one I think about as, like, a series of vignettes, like, that I don't even really feel connected to each other. I'm like, there's Rex Manning, there's the Robin Tunney shaving her head, there's the rooftop, you know, but I don't necessarily feel like they need to even be in the same universe. Um, And, like, why was my big crush out of that movie Ethan Embry? What is that? What? I look back at it now and I'm like, why him? Why was that the one I He, he I was he was he was one of the guys at the moment, right? He was in White Squall too that came out around that time, I think, and he he was just one of those like JT2 looking. Yeah, just kind of squirrely dudes. and like yeah. uh, unassuming, I guess. But. Also like gentle maybe, yeah. you know, like I don't know. He wasn't he wasn't my crush in it, but I I can understand why that would be why that I would was, exist. I was a kid, you know. I yeah, you're like, I like, like you funny, goofy, cute little yeah. boy. I said that's what you want. But even, like, what's that guy from Saturday Night Live that's dating the Kardashian? Pete Davidson? Yeah, Pete Davidson. It's that kind of, like, that That has, wanting that guy, because there's, like, it's, like, soft and emotional, but, like, BDE, too. Is, mm-hmm. is has spanned generations. 
<laughs> okay, y'all, we'll be right back to share some freakouts. If you are enjoying our show, please consider supporting it on Patreon. Your monthly or annual tax-deductible gift helps us keep the show running and on the air. By becoming a patron, you're supporting independent feminist media and a nonprofit that's working to end abuse in the games industry. Plus, patrons get a special bonus alongside each episode of the podcast. Of course, we know that not everyone has the means to financially support the show. So, just taking a moment to give us a star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show can help new listeners find us. We appreciate your support in whatever way you can provide it. Now, back to the show. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Anita, what's your freak out? Uh, I watched the best movie that's ever been made in the entire universe of movies. I'm listening. (laughs) (laughs) It's called Tom Popo. Have you seen this? I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. It is a... Oh, fuck. Is it Japanese? No, it's a Japanese movie by uh, Juzo Itami. I'm so sorry. From 1985. And it is a love story to ramen. Oh, I've heard of this movie and I'm always told I have to watch this movie. Yes. So good. (laughs) It just, it is like, I don't really want to say a lot about it. Not that it's like spoilery or whatever, but it's just, it's an experience. Mm. There's like all of these different types of, the core story is about a, a single mother um, who has a ramen shop that's not good enough and she needs to get it good enough. Right. And around that story are all of these other kind of random stories and like relationships to food. And, like, things that people do with food. It has one of the best sex scenes I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and it's not the one that everybody talks about in the movie. Um, there's a thing with egg yolk that happens that oh. people talk a lot about. That's not what I'm referring to. Gudetama, um, no. Yeah. <laughs> there is um, – I so I love – I've been I've – been, uh, telling Kat that we need to do a series on food, food movies because mm-hmm. I just am obsessed with things. Like, I have just a, like, the perfect guest for you because I have a friend who is so obsessed with food movies as its own genre and nobody ever talks about oh, I love that. Deep, yeah. deep food I, movies. That's just I need about- to know this person. But so I love like the shots of making food, right? Yes. Like the shots. And so in this, I think has one of those that is so good and it's making a... Um, a rice omelet. Mm. And it's just like, it's just perfect. It's just perfect. So I, Tom Popo from 1985, Itami is the director. It is so fucking good. I highly recommend it to anyone who likes movies or food. On the list. I won't watch it when I'm hungry because then I'll probably deliriously just order. Have a giant bowl of ramen while you're eating. (laughs) You're watching it. That's not a big mistake. Ordering ramen. You're, that's you're okay. true. No, that's, that's a twelve dollar financial disaster. You're you're gonna be all right. Um, I had I was watching Bear. This is not my freak out, oh, but just a separate. We the, love the financial thing. Love. Yeah, but I watched it like, and I I love to see it. I mean, like my, my brother committed suicide last month, so it was just like watching this movie was the most oh, bizarre. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot, but it was perfect. And it's one of those things where like I've always 
you know, whenever anybody like at a convention or something will be like, oh, this show changed my life or this this movie got me through a hard time. I'm like, you're just thinking of something that you want to say to like, mm. you know, what whoever. Um, but you hear it so often. But then this one, it was definitely me being like, oh, my God, this is yeah. this really helped get me through it. Uh, my point was I it was maybe 2 a.m. And I just wanted so badly while watching that movie, like a really rich broth, some kind mm. of sticky broth. And I like searched all the apps to find a place that was open. And one Korean place was open. I ended up ordering uh, the pork neck stew and it was like $30 and it was a whole pig spine when it arrived. Uh, and the broth wasn't quite right, but that was, that was the thing where I'm like, I just wanted this broth and all I could find was a, pig spine <laughs> 30 35 dollar pig spine you know so, yeah i deleted doordash after that i'm done it's got to be sure <laughs> but you know not the not the most uh like financially sinking uh impulse right. purchase well as a binge eater i've i do it a lot oh. <laughs> yeah uh, i don't know like, so so maybe watching food movies is not the best for you sometimes i can do ramen i can do one i'm i feel yeah. good about it yeah and i can i think that what eating ramen while watching this movie sounds like a great idea but it's about perfecting ramen and mm. so i feel like i'd be like well my ramen's not gonna be good <laughs> enough <laughs> for for this whatever anyways watch the movie it's so fucking good Have i loved it so much jiro dreams of sushi yeah yeah, I mean, that whole part where he was like, an apprentice needs to work on the egg, like, alone for a year before we'll even talk to them about rice, you know? And I was like, yeah, that's what it takes. Um, so, Shadi, was your freak out the pig spine, uh, or did you have <laughs> I love, freak if, out? If you have, watch a pig spine. <laughs> no, my dog was happy. I, um... No, I think mine is older, but like maybe not enough cis people have seen Veneno. I was mm. going to talk about, I'm really only freaking out about the Sandman because I worked on the Sandman and I have got some stuff in development. So I'm mostly like not watching anything because I'm just working all the time. So that's coming out in a week, which won't make sense for when this podcast your, your freak out could be but overworking <laughs> well i'm just upset i want to see if people like it and i'm really mm. excited for all my coworkers, and so that's what i'm really thinking about but because i found out when this podcast is coming out i'm gonna go with veneno have you seen this movie no but it's been on my list to watch okay well it's not a movie yeah. first of all <laughs> isn't it <laughs> no, isn't it the tv show yeah it's a tv show yeah it's yeah a tv show um uh it's on hbo max it's so good it's the most like messy trans, but there's like this kind of um, magical realism stuff, right? It's a Spanish movie. Uh, so there's this magical realism, trans stuff. And it's made by these, like, I think two gay directors who just really revere this trans woman and her legend. It's like the most transy thing I've ever seen and not made by trans people, but starring trans people. Mm. So it's kind of changed my politics because for a long time I was like, you know, trans folks should make their own cultural stories but after this i was like or gay boys who love us mm. <laughs> like who just like revere and love us in that sort of like taking this really sloppy messy trans woman and like treating her like she's share or something like making making her iconic in the way that gay boys can do but it was uh, she oh sorry were there trans folks in like the writing team i don't know okay it's so I, like, good i wonder I if that's 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, I don't care. I, I usually am like, where's the money going? Because, you know, the right. on-screen representation is, is something that everybody can do. But I was like, where's the money going? Laverne Cox hires a trans uh, makeup artist. You know, like, like the right. the math of like the the branching things about like and then she donated to this and then that person gave this money to vent you know like where to me like the show business thing when it comes to representation is so much less about on-screen representation and the business side like where's the mm-hmm. money where is the money going does it go to these communities when trans people make money then it's like you know i'm going to donate to different kickstarters or different gofundmes for short films than like uh the dude who does euphoria right so yeah. um uh but this, I, I kind of didn't care because it's so fantastic and, like, the most, like, actual transy, like, you know, the worst of, the the messiest trans person is revered and then everybody around her. And there's this one trans, there's uh, this one trans woman in it who just eats a lot, you know, which I guess goes to your thing. But the, I just want to see a fat trans woman eating on camera like a lot more because that was the first time where I was like I felt seen in a mm. real way like I've I've been watching all these shows and it's just like oh that's not me and then finally I'm watching you know this woman like down a bowl well, I can't wait till you have your own show and that's the protagonist it's so good that's all the it's hell out of that. person eating yeah you know no I'm well not... as a component of the story might be a hard sell I don't know if you you know the business is tough yeah, that's yeah. true. And I'm going to have to watch this. I saw uh, Daniela Santiago, the actress from this, in uh, Parallel Mothers, Alma Devar's long, complicated history of trans women <laughs> portrayed in his movies. Um, but she just was in, like, a scene. So, um, Veneno. Veneno. I'll have to watch. So, so great. Yeah. It's like, everyone needs to see it. Kat, what are you freaking out about? So I think that Ingu on our Blade Runner episode mentioned the show Angeline on Peacock, and I finally watched all five episodes. Angeline was a fixture growing up in L.A. in the 90s, um, seeing her billboards, seeing sightings of Angeline and her pink Corvette and everything was uh, just a non-negotiable part of uh, the landscape of Los Angeles. Um and I've always been really hesitant to read, like, exposés about her because they've come up a little bit in the last 10, 15 years. And my feeling was always, like, as far as I can tell, she's not hurting anybody and she doesn't want any one of us to know what the backstory is. So I was a little nervous about watching the show, but I did start it. And Emmy Rossum's performance was so good that I couldn't stop. And I'm relieved to say that by the end of the movie, my, at least my feeling as a viewer, was that like, yes, we took a voyeuristic peek behind the curtain. We saw what could be presented as an objective reality of the person who was born and where, where were they born? What was their name? How did they grow up? And we also are given Angeline's reality. And at the end of the show, I felt like, I can comfortably let both of these realities coexist in my mind. Um, If she is all artifice, if she is a billboard queen alien from fairyland, I love it. Like that, then yes, that's true. That is also true. Um, And whether or not there was a child of Holocaust survivors who moved to Los Angeles and became the Angeline that we know is also part of that truth. And so it was like a really interesting 
Um, I mean, fantastic performances, uh, really impressive, like, makeup. Um, they do show people across decades. So there's, like, a lot of aging makeup that was, you know, that if that's bad, you're taken right out of it. Um, but, yeah, I was kind of blown away by it, actually. <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine that I would see something that would satisfy, like, the Angeline story. And I will dis- put a disclaimer that I have not, um, I have not read, like, if Angeline has given a statement about this particular series. She's been partially involved in different pieces of storytelling about her life over the years. Um, but I don't know if this is, like, a situation where she's completely condemned the show. I should have looked that up before freaking out about it. But that's where I'm at. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the shows that have come out lately about people, like, of, of various states of fame are like, fuck this shit. Fuck the way we've been representing yeah, the drama. Yeah, Pam and Tommy. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was definitely thinking about Pam and Tommy in the, like, re-traumatizing sense of it. Um, I think that this show, I mean, maybe it is a little bit of that magical realism that uh, the Spanish love, but, like, there's there are enough ways where it's like, this is the story as we're telling you it is, but whether or not this thing actually happened. Like, so, you know, there's like little artistic flourishes where you might see like 1984 or something as a title card. Um, probably five years the, later. I, Tanya, right? Where there's a lot of yeah. like, are, is this true? Is this not true? Is this a lie? Is this not a lie? As a part of the storytelling. And is the is there such a thing as an objective truth or reality? I mean, that's like the big question about our, our world and our, you know, life, but like, uh, is there such a thing as an objective truth or is, is the memory of what happened the way you think it happened, the truth that matters? I, I think what's, I think that, that these are all great academic questions to ask. Uh, I, I think the problem is that Hollywood just exploits everybody. Right. Yeah. And so like that. So like, yeah, there's interesting ways to like tell these stories and consent is questionable in a lot of like the way they got Pam and Tommy was because they they optioned a fucking article right. about the story. Right. Yeah. Like they didn't get Pamela Anderson's life rights as a, a way to tell this story. So I think um, that's what happened here, too. They optioned a Hollywood Reporter article. That's definitely yeah. what they're doing across the board. You're very healthy, Kat, by the way, mentally to be able to handle <laughs> 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 the conflicting so i couldn't watch it for that reason and she did condemn yeah. it because it is it is weird how many of these things are coming up but even like winning time which is this amazing have you mm. been watching winning time on hbo yes it's fantastic it's so good it's so it's like such good filmmaking it's like it's perfect it's beautiful it's great and i like that i'm not even a sports person but i love sports movies and this is kind of a perfect one but they really have no they're just like really willy-nilly like it, uh, they like totally. they change the scores of the games. They change the outcomes of games for mm. like effect. Like it's really just like yeah, not. It's weird how untrue all this stuff was. Or inventing Anna too is one where it's just like these disclaimers don't seem like enough. I, I the, the folks involved in this stuff should get a little a little more. I think probably. I went to a a lecture given by a um a lawyer for a big film studio where she talked to like specifically talked about based on a true story. Oh yeah. Yeah. And how 
easy it is to just massage that language a little bit. And that's where you have those like creatively done things where it's like based on a true lie or um, the Coen brothers saying something that's based on a true story that wasn't. (laughs) But then where you just say like inspired by real events or like all of those things that you can say that just legally cover your ass but aren't necessarily ethical. Um, That's wild. It's so weird. Yeah. Uh, I hope nobody, well, nobody's interested in stealing my life, but like, it just, it's just, I, I will, but, I will sorry. save my future comments for the bonus. Okay. Cause Ooh. I have thoughts about this in yeah. terms of optioning life stories. Oh man. I feel like <laughs> oh, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose you do. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be up late tonight. Like really dark night of the soul thinking about how I spent five hours with the Angeline show, but you know what? Here's where we are. This is our show for today. This has been the season of cyberpunk, a cyberpunk summer recording. I'm sweating my butt off. It's great. I'm so sweaty. <laughs> Shaddy, thank you so much for joining us. Where thank can you. people find you on I, the internet? I'm just Shaddy Fataski on everything. That's all. They can stream lots of your creative work. Yeah, watch Stranger Nicks. It's a good show. I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and you can find me at Anita Sarkeesian on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Kat Spada. You can find me at cat underscore ex underscore machina on Twitter. You can follow Feminist Frequency at femfreak. If you are a Patreon subscriber, be sure to stick around for the bonus episode with our guest, Shadi Potoski. If you like this show, please help other people find it. Subscribe, rate, comment, and stick around because we're going to be back next season after a wee break. Thanks so much for listening. This ending is such we a... We don't know how to do this. We have in our script both, and then it, we just... It just happens, yeah, yeah, but... Yeah. Um, you we know. will get our shit together for you all next season. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> we'll hack it in post. <laughs> <laughs>